Hey, it's Chris Black. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with the pseudonymous founder and lead developer of leading Bitcoin privacy wallet, Samurai Wallet. We spend some time diving into the ongoing tornado cash controversy. We talk about what it's like to exist in the world as a developer working on privacy technology and a whole lot more. We're going to jump right into that conversation after I thank my amazing sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Foundation Devices, the makers of the beautiful air-gapped open source assembled in the USA Bitcoin hardware wallet called Passport. And by air-gapped, I mean this device never goes online, never needs to connect to your computer. Every time you connect your hardware wallet to your internet-connected computer, you're running some risk. But Passport uses an SD card to eliminate that risk. And it's super simple to sign Bitcoin transactions by just scanning QR codes. It's so much safer to do it this way. You can use their mobile app called Envoy, or you could use Sparrow Wallet or Electrum. There's a hundred ways that you can use Passport. You can do it in your own way. The attention to detail and design is just amazing. So many crypto hardware wallets look like they were made by engineers, right? But the Passport is totally different. It's beautiful. The average person would look at this and think it's a, a little mobile phone or something like that. It has a rechargeable battery, a glass display, really, really nice. You need to take a look at Passport. Decide for yourself. They're back in stock. So go to foundationdevices.com and check it out. Thank you to a decentralized group of ThorChain supporters for sponsoring this week's episode. When you swap between two cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin to Ethereum or Dogecoin to Litecoin or whatever they may be, the first way you think about doing that is on a centralized exchange, right? Did you know you have another option? A much more decentralized option? That option is ThorSwap. ThorSwap is the front end that allows you to quickly and easily swap between native cryptocurrencies using ThorChain in the background. And I'm not talking about like wrapped cryptocurrencies, like wrapped Bitcoin or anything like that. I'm talking about native cryptocurrencies. I'm talking about trading straight from your self-custodial wallet on one chain into your self-custodial wallet on another chain. ThorChain makes this possible in a decentralized way. It's your decentralized alternative to a centralized exchange. So the next time you want to trade one crypto for another, skip the sex and go to ThorSwap.com. ThorSwap.com. There we go. The one and only Samurai Wallet. Um, Great to be with you, Chris. A few technical difficulties, but nothing we can't get past. Um, no, far for the course. <laughs> I don't even want to dilly-dally with you, man. I want to talk about um, the Tornado Cash thing first, because that's kind of what prompted our conversation now. And sure. um, we've got a lot to talk about, but that yeah, in particular... So going on. Yeah, I mean, that right there was the thing where, you know, you and I are almost always in agreement on everything. And then that came up and like we had sort of differing views on what it meant for Bitcoin privacy. Right. And just to like set the table a little bit. Tornado Cash. You know, I don't know. Did you read the, like the indictment? Did you read the 32 yeah. page? OK, so 
it actually goes into some detail about what they're trying to do and the case they're trying to present. And like, if you're engaged with this space, like no matter what side you're on, you read it and you realize they're, they're stretching, right? They're like trying yeah, to, there's a lot there. they're trying to mold it into something useful. But the, what it boils down to is the case rests upon the fact that tornado cache developers hosted a front end that gave access to the smart contracts, convenient access, I would say, that they launched a token that they profited from, that they supported a network of relayers, which is a big deal, probably the biggest deal. And the relayers allowed you to use tornado cash without um, exposing yourself on the, on the back end of it when you're doing the withdrawal it gives you a way to have a fully clean ethereum account to withdraw into whereas it's much more difficult to do that without a relayer it's not impossible but it's harder so those things did i miss anything there those were like the three things i think that they were like focusing in on Um, actually missed in, in my view the biggest thing and the the only thing really that i think they have a case with that's going to require a robust defense. And that, of course, is the third count, uh, the third charge, uh, which is essentially the OFAC uh, SDN violation. Um, right. That's well, the, the I- one that has teeth. The yeah. money laundering stuff, we can talk about that. The MSB, uh, whether it was or it wasn't, it's very, I mean, clear to anyone who has any understanding of uh, FinCEN's guidance on exactly these things that it's not an MSB. Uh, that I think can be easily argued in court. Um, it's just going to rely on uh, the Romans having a good defense team able to argue these technical things and explain it to a jury. Um, the, the way SDN I am fact is going to be a l- little bit more difficult to defend. The way I read it, though, is and tell me if I'm wrong. But I think, you know, obviously there was the, the OFAC thing and the money laundering thing. And, but the justification, they needed a way to go after these individuals and make an example out of them, right? And they realized that if you just do it on the basis of calling these smart contracts money laundering tools, um, you're going to have a hard time because... The developers were not maintaining the smart yeah. contracts. Once the smart contracts are deployed, right. they're deployed, right? So, like, there's no ongoing work. It's to- very difficult to define it as money laundering or money service, trans- uh, money transmission. Right. The smart contract, right. So, yeah. that goes for OFAC, too, though, because if you're on the OFAC mm. sanctions list, then you don't need front end you don't need any you don't need a relayer you don't need any of these things to access those smart contracts so if they're using those smart contracts but they were used they were used that's that's the issue well okay so that's one thing that we haven't seen evidence about yet right we haven't seen evidence that they use the front end well, of course, um, uh-huh. and, and that's the important thing. And I think why I disagree with many of the, the and again, I don't think we disagree, actually. I, I think we disagree on the scope or severity of what it means broadly, just because of the stage we're at. An indictment is, you know, it means nothing. The, the, to, to get an indictment, it's the prosecutor 
a grand jury and the judge. The defense isn't there. Uh, the you know they don't have any idea about it, and the standard of evidence is very low. And the judge has to assume the prosecutor's telling the truth. All of it, it's, it's stacked against the you know it's stacked so where the prosecution can easily get an indictment. So it means nothing. What ha- what what it you know what matters is what happens at trial, and we see it countless and countless times where you have trumped up charges, uh, charge after charge after charge, and the indictment that never make it to trial. Right. We saw it with with uh, Ross Ulbricht, where he was charged and or indicted with, you know, murder for hire, this and that never made it to trial. Completely was used as a way to, uh, you know, sully public perception. So th- these are things that we've seen before in, in non-crypto cases, this is the DOJ at work. This is how they work and operate. Uh, so it's important to say, okay, what is this? It's just an indictment. Let's look at the, the facts around, the, you know, what's being charged in the indictment. When we see when we see all of the money laundering claims, it's dubious. It's dubious um, for for many reasons. Uh, we can get into you know more in depth if you want, but what's not dubious though is the fact that. The Tornado Cash devs on the front end implemented controls to, you know, check for sanctions violations, meaning they could do it uh, and they chose to do it. And it's it's funny because in the press release, they actually uh, from the uh, from the I think it was the FBI or it was the IRS or both of them. Um, they say, you know, they put in these front end sanctions screening service but did so knowing that this would be easy to evade as it like, you know, so now they're in trouble for implementing an industry standard sanction service. Right. You know, um, because like, (laughs) like they had, if you read the quotes that they used to come to that conclusion, they just said, this is the best we can do or something like that. Like they, they, they knew that there was no way for them to stop anybody on the OFAC right. sanctions list to access the smart contract. best effort thing. That's what right. you have to do. You have to do a best effort. And, you know, for a long time, best effort meant restricting, um, you know, uh, when you see it. And that's it. That's all you can do. And, and, and the thing is, with sanctions law and OFAC, I mean, it's clear cut and it's severe. You violate that, you're in trouble. And, and, it, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're a business or a person or whether you're a U.S. person or not. If you violate it, they're coming for you. And that's the one I think that really has teeth in this. And I, I, I think people are missing it. They're focusing on the money laundering, which I think can be so easily defended against just using FinCEN's own guidance and what, you know, the legal advice that we all in this industry have got. You know, you, we didn't go into this blind as samurai. We got legal advice to say, what about operating a coin, a non-custodial coin joint coordination, you know, and all we can do because there's no specific law that says it, you know, oh, non, non-custodial uh, coin joint is A-OK. That's not how it works. You have to look at the guidance, the regulatory um, regime, the BSA. You have to look at the definitions that money transmission and money transmitters are. And your legal team says, yeah, you're clear or no, you're not. And it's so clear cut to me that this, there's no money laundering. There's no money transmission on the, uh, by, by Roman, both the Romans. It's just that's not what's there. And I think that can be easily defended by, the, uh, by a competent defense team. But they really need help on the sanctions stuff, I think. That's, the, that's just my opinion. 
Yeah. The the interesting thing is, like you said, like best effort has been the standard. And that's why, you know, you can have a, a website or a front end saying, you know, this is not accessible by citizens of this country or residents yeah. of this country. And then you can use a VPN and get around it in three seconds because yeah, that was it. Right. right. It's like a commonly known thing. But then you read this indictment of Tornado Cash uh, developers and you realize that what they're saying is, no, that's best effort in this case would have been taking down the entire website, like taking (laughs) down, like that was what they said. They said that if you, as long as you ran this website, you were not making best efforts to stop these, um, these hackers from money laundering through your, through the smart contracts that you deployed. So that's why, you know, just to, to loop it back to our, tweets that we were going back and forth on that's why i, I see there's only one tweet <laughs> okay there was one tweet there. yeah and then we're just like let's <laughs> let's talk about it no I, I i got you but you know the 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 idea here is where i'm coming from not just with you but with any developer that touches privacy tech in the space i think that this is this is coming from a place of how do we attack privacy how do we attack oh, for sure you know, how do we come, how can we retrofit a case to, to, to chill people out of developing this kind of stuff, you know? And yes. so it's not just the tornado cash guys had a token and ran relayers and it's not like, that's, that's just convenient. They made it easy for them almost to, to, to put this indictment together. But it's about if, if your privacy tools used by anybody that the government doesn't like, whether it's for you know a good reason or a bad reason. It could be a North Korean hacker, or it could be somebody who posted some you know anti LGBTQ2IA plus SSS tweet that the government really hates, and now they want to um, keep them from from escaping their financial uh, CBDC or whatever. You know, it's like whatever it might be. Um, if the government doesn't like them and they go on a list, then and they use your privacy tech, then you are culpable. And whether it's Tornado or Samurai or, or Wasabi or you know any yeah. other tool out there, so that's where I was coming from. But and that's been true forever, though, since you know the, the, the sanctions and SDN and OFAC is you know is what it is. Um, like I said, you do a best case basis, best effort basis. Um, you know, yeah, but I, that's I, the point I, here. Best would, effort I, was them stopping the service, like going, doing whatever well, they could yeah, to that's, stop that's it. What they, that's what they want. Again, what the prosecution and the, the government wants doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get it in, in court. It really, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things at play here. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I would even argue that the, that tornado cash ultimately was a wrong decision. Personally, I would say, but they went above best effort by by contracting with chain analysis or chain analysis to to offer the real time screening on their UI. Yeah, you know, that's 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 more than best effort. They they went above and beyond. Now now maybe they they still thought that it was easy to evade, and it, maybe it is, um, but it is you know that is above best effort. I would say. Well, the idea of evading it was like, okay, you you know, Lazarus Group had all this crypto in an in an ETH account. 
uh, that ETH account goes on the OFAC list. Uh, Chainalysis keeps a list in a smart contract that Tornado is checking against for every transaction. So if they were to operate out of that wallet, out of that account, it would have been blocked. But because of the way Ethereum works, and this isn't Tornado's fault, this is just the way Ethereum works. You can just send it to a different wallet and right. OFAC won't have time to catch up and keep, you know, keep up with all these wallets. You know, you could send it to two or three or four or whatever, you know, and exactly. then and then you can use that through Tornado because there's an infinite number of Ethereum accounts that you can generate. So it's the same with Bitcoin, right? If you right. you just need to hop it one away. But you guys sanction, you need this to hop is, it one, two, three, four, five away. And then at what point is it on the operator? How many how many hops back do they need to look? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why it makes no sense. <laughs> okay, but this is like where I get hung up and why I want to talk to you. Because like you were kind of dismissive of this as, re- as relates to Bitcoin privacy. And a lot of Bitcoiners are thinking like that too. Like, oh, Tornado launched a token, they had relayers, and that's why this is happening. But there's so many parallels. I mean, Samurai Wallet. Well, I didn't say that at all. Um, I, I think what I, what I was disagreeing was. Well, you should bring up the tweet, or you should because I don't really remember it. But um, I'll bring I it think up. The, the main claim that you that I was disagreeing with, I believe, was that Tornado Cash is more decentralized than any um, privacy tech on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what the claim was that I was disagreeing with. There may have been a secondary claim in there, but I don't, or, or statement that I don't really remember it. Um, and I think that it's it, that's an I don't. I don't outright disagree but I, I think it's more nuanced than that um well i'll tell you what i meant uh, sure go yeah why don't you do so that? okay so the tweet said no matter how much you hate ethereum it's critical that every bitcoiner understands this fact tornado cash on ethereum is far more decentralized than any privacy tool on bitcoin that currently exists if tornado loses this case then privacy on bitcoin is very screwed and just to add some some color, you know, my point was that uh, Tornado Cash smart contracts on Ethereum cannot be stopped by the developers. They could throw the developer developers in jail, pull off their thumbnails, pull out their teeth, kill their family, you know, do you know, do it, rape their grandmas, and they still wouldn't be able to to shut down those smart contracts. Uh, the the only way to stop the smart contracts from functioning as as mixing services or whatever you want to call them, even though that's that's questionable too because of the way it works. It's more like a, a lockbox almost. But the only way to stop it is to fork Ethereum, right? So the validator network would have to would have to do that, and it's completely out of the developer's control. So contrast that to um, CoinJoin services, um, such as Samurai Wallet. Um, and you have a situation where, you know, they can't stop it, but you know, you guys can, right? Am I wrong about that? You can stop your service if you're forced well, we can to. Stop our, yeah. So we can stop coordination in the same way that the tornado cash devs could stop the, you know, the UI, right? Like they could stop building the UI. Well, you can't the use Samurai wallet. On with- Ethereum would mm-hmm. continue without the UI. Um, and in the same sense that anyone else who wanted to coordinate could continue coordination um, without 
us. So it's like I said, I, I don't disagree with you because you're right. The Ethereum state machine, etc. Uh, it's 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 different, but one coin joint coordinated coin joint isn't the only privacy tech on Bitcoin. For 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 first, mm-hmm. there is peer to peer coin joint. There's decentralized um, uh, coin joint, which we're we're working on right now. Um, there's uh, you know there's a there's a a host of well, there's even decentralized coin join from Join Market, though it's not you know very effective. Um, the building blocks are there, though. Uh, so I, I, I think the statement's too broad. I do like you know with the added context of what you were saying in terms of it not being able to be shut down without a fork. I I, I do understand what you meant. I still would say it's just too broad of a statement, but it's a tweet. You know, so that's exactly <laughs> what it's. It is, it is a tweet. Um, yeah, yeah I, you know, so I, 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 I didn't take that as a major disagreement. Um, you know, I, I, I think that you're right. If this case is lost, it's a major blow to. I mean, it just goes far beyond Bitcoin or crypto or Ethereum or whatever. It's it's a major blow. Um, I don't think they will win uh, again, assuming a competent defense. They'll win on the money laundering charges because uh, that's just going against every you know years and years of, of case law and and guidance. And it, it really makes no sense to me why that's there. Um, so it's it's like yeah. I, for me, I just get so nervous for anyone who's developing privacy tech in this space, and I have been for a while. And we talked about it last time we we did a podcast or whatever. But um, I just don't see a future where every single developer that's developing this kind of tech, and it doesn't matter why it's being developed. I mean, I know, and I'm a user of this tech. I use it to preserve my dignity as a human being. You know, I use it because I understand that I have a right to privacy that I was born with. And it doesn't mean privacy just from my neighbor. It means it, it doesn't mean allowing the government to see everything I do, but just not, you know, the guy down the street. That's not my idea of privacy. My idea of privacy is I can do what I want with the things I have and the things I earn, and nobody else should be allowed to see it unless I allow them to see it. And so that's why I use the tech. I see it as dignity because I think that being forced to give that right up is being forced to give up your dignity. You know, and so... I th- but the problem is I th- I don't see a future where everybody in the space who's developing this kind of stuff and, and telling the government to basically screw off um, when they come knocking is isn't attacked you know and so it's like I, I, that's where I get worried and it's yeah, not even it's not even <laughs> just the privacy you, tech you, you know expect that, though. right yeah you expect it but I guess um, a question for you is. Like where, like, what does the future look like? I mean, do you just keep doing what you're doing in the same way and be out here doing podcasts and stuff like that? And like, do you just keep doing that until like, are you at the point where you're just like, F it, like, I'm just going to go with it and see what happens? Or is there like some kind of a a plan, you know, to, to further decentralize in a way or to, for you know, to increase OPSEC? over time like what does that look like for you or is it not if it's not something you even want to talk about i totally understand that too but that's where i well, get curious definitely, we're definitely not quitting i mean uh, again you 
many people seem surprised that the state would, you know, do this, um, go after, make these claims, uh, go this broad. Uh, we're not surprised. Uh, of course, they want to discourage the type of software we're building. Um, it's it, 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 We knew that going in in 2015. Um, so no, that it's not discouraging us from it. We're not doing anything illegal. Um, we have a, you know, a, at least in the United States, we have a constitutional right to publish the software, you know, that we want to publish. Uh, that uh, it's already, you know, well, it maybe hasn't been tested, but it, it's assumed that software is uh, code is speech. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the last time that was brought up, the government actually folded because they didn't take it to the the courts. That was the uh, the Bernstein case. Uh, they didn't take it to the courts because they didn't want precedent, so they just left it. They right. dropped the case. Uh, so you know because that's that's a dangerous that's a dangerous thing for them, uh, and it's a powerful thing for us. So you know we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. Um, you know we're as far as I'm concerned, we're trying to maintain the status quo of what what type of financial privacy you're able to obtain uh, or have been able to obtain traditionally, you know, so with cash, uh, for example, or even even traditionally in the bank, you know, uh, traditionally, the government can't just go to the bank and say, let me see the financial history of X, Y, Z without a without a court order or warrant, et cetera. So at least the very least, we would like to be able to replicate that on the on the public blockchain it's a, not an easy feat but it's at least interesting to work on and who's the state and the who's the government to say what we can work on so no no absolutely not we're not quitting um what in terms of decentralizing i think it's something we've been working on prior to all of this prior to the original uh arrest of um of roman last year we already had begun the process of decentralizing coordination of Whirlpool, uh, as obviously it's a a uh, vulnerability point that we'd like to eradicate. Um, because as it is right now, the guidance of FinCEN 2019 says that uh, we're not, you know, money laundering. It's very clear we're not. There's no custody. There's no control of funds. We can't transmit funds if we, you know, if we don't have the private keys. The user has to transmit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, you know, but that can change. Right. And, and this, this case, you know, if, if everything goes wrong and, and, uh, uh, these guys lose and the money and on all counts, for example, um, things change, right. The landscape changes immediately. And we want to be, we want to be ready for that, of course. And we're well advanced on that. And the other, you know, the other thing is, We have a large user base of people that run their own nodes. They use a software that we produce called Dojo to do that, um, meaning they run a dedicated piece of hardware uh, already with a Bitcoin node on it. And you know, with a snap of a finger, all of these Dojo nodes could become Whirlpool coordinators instantly. You know, so you immediately have hundreds, if not thousands, of different coordinators out there with a software update. Uh, you know, so we're not concerned uh, about the changing landscape. We expected a fight. The fight's here. We're going to keep making the tech that we make. Is is the dojo coordinator thing um, going to happen for sure? Is that, is that like a fallback plan? Oh, 
No, no, it's it's happening. We're okay. we're decentralizing uh, Whirlpool, um, regardless. Not a fallback plan. That's that's kind of always been the plan. But you know, as you know, we do things incrementally. We're a small team. So, so how's that? How's that going to work? Is it going to it's going to function as as one coordinator, but it's going to be sort of P two P across yeah. the nodes? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Sort that's of right. like a, a torrent pool, style. Many, okay. Yeah, one liquidity pool, many many um, uh, coordinators. So you know, and that's what that's what the whirlpool centralized coin join currently. The centralized aspect of it is the message passing. Uh, and that's to take encrypted packets from your client and pass it out to the other participants in your coin joint transaction. The the server can't read the messages it's passing. It's not broadcast. It, you know, it's not transmitting. It's just uh, passing packets around. That part is really the most centralized part of Whirlpool. We want to um, get rid of that part, obviously. And that's the part that we're we've made tremendous strides on uh, in terms of decentralization. So. Um, obviously it's, it's, uh, more, <laughs> you know, there's more pressure to get it out there and, and finish now, but it has been something we've been working on for, for quite a while. What do you think are the odds that, that you are going to get, um, the, the tornado cash treatment at some point in the future? Like, what do you think are the odds of that? And, and like, how does that how do you reckon with that in your head like are you nervous about it or do you just feel like you're so prepared for it you're ready for the fight no i mean yeah i think any anyone would be nervous about that i don't you know i don't think i i I don't think that i'm i'm not known you know uh to the people these powers that be right Mm -hmm. I think that if they wanted to come, you know, and give me really harsh treatment and come in and, you know, take me out of my house, my underwear, et cetera, they could do it in, in a heartbeat. Um, I'm not worried about it per se. Uh, I think that I would like to hope that someone would come, like, you know, uh, want to talk about things first. Is it what exactly are the capabilities of the platform, et cetera? Uh, before going to that treatment. But, you know, if it happens, it happens. We do have plans in place, um, contingencies in place for those types of events. Um, You know, all sorts of contingency plans. I'm not going to get deep into them, but, you know, I I, I I maintain that I'm not doing anything illegal. Um, I have legal advice and I'm not doing anything illegal. Um, We've had legal requests come to us before that we've been able to pass to our, you know, our attorneys and, and our attorney was able to successfully explain, you know, the nature of our software, um, being non-custodial being that, you know, the, uh, you could connect to your own node, et cetera, that the requests that they were making wouldn't be, wouldn't be possible to fulfill those types of things. Um, so no, I mean, I don't think we're doing anything illegal. So I don't expect, uh, I don't expect anything like that, you know, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if something happened. But, I mean, look, I, I would be stupid to be surprised. Like, Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, around. yeah. I'm just wondering if you think it's an inevitability in a way, or if you think it's, it's of a low likelihood, it sounds like you're more on the low likelihood side. Well, I think that if things change, 
and there's clear violation of the law, the law changes, I mean, and we didn't, we didn't change and we were violating the law, then yeah, I'd expect it. I don't think we're violating the law, so I can't imagine why they would come and, uh, you know, and do that. And, it, and if they did, then again, we do pay lawyers for, lawyers for a reason. We have them on retainer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we'll fight it, obviously, but that's what you do when when you're you're charged with something you didn't do. You fight it and you hope for the best. Uh, I'm not going right. to live in fear. Like I'm not going to do this because oh they might they might come after me for it. Well, yeah, that means I might be doing something. I might be onto something. Like you know. So that's how you think about it. It's it's because that's what I'm. I'm more concerned than you are about this. It seems like, <laughs> which is interesting, but it's it's um, you know I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how you um, why do you do? I mean I know what your normal answer is, but why do you do this work, knowing what's at stake and knowing what the risks are? Like, why do you want to keep going? Well, what, what the hell else would I do? <laughs> <laughs> when I go work at a, you know, like in an office? I mean, is it about... Like make a, make like a banking product or something? I mean, could you can't go back like to, to no, no, it's too important. You know, the... I. When I got into Bitcoin, I mean, I got in hard, right? Like, not like, you know, the, the brain dead idiot laser eyes that you'll find on Twitter today. Like, I, I came in hard on an ideological perspective. And again, this is pre-Ethereum, pre-Monero. This is pre-all. It was just Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was all there is. Um, and, you know, I'm still into the promises that that Bitcoin offers. Um though more jaded, <laughs> of course. Um, but, you know, I'm still ideologically really, there's a strong passion there for for what Bitcoin can offer and I think does offer if you're able to, you know, utilize it in a certain way and you're able to, to, to you know, use the tools and, extricate yourself somewhat from the system. It, it, the, the promise is immense and building the software to make what I want to see happen. There's nothing, there's nothing quite like that, you know, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 and, and the fact that it's used and, and enjoyed and, you know, an essential tool for so many people more than I ever thought. Um, you know, I just, yeah, like I wouldn't, I, one, I wouldn't want to stop doing it just because it's so interesting and fun. Uh, but two, like I've never, I've never since since I was really small, I, I've never been good with people telling me, "No, you can't do that. You have to do this." I, I kind of, if I want to do something, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Um, and that's the same with this. So I just, it's, it's just the reality of it. I hope nothing like that happens. If if something like that ha- does happen, I'm prepared to deal with it and and fight it and and think that you know. Um, we'll be able to fight it, hopefully, uh, if if it does happen. But I don't think it will. Uh, I don't think it's 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 highly likely. I think it's possible, but not highly likely. Mm-hmm. 
Why see do you th- what, what happens with this case. Yeah. Why do you think most people use Whirlpool? Most people are using Whirlpool uh, to, to get the smallest bit of, of privacy on a public ledger. You know, uh, I, I like to explain it to people the best way that I can explain it, because most people are coming from a KYC source. Right. So they're 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 buying on Swan or or um, some other KYC platform exchange or something like that. And they're entering Whirlpool from their the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they're doing it is the same reason or the same the, to obtain the same level of protection that you would get from your bank when you withdraw cash from an ATM, right? Like you can withdraw $100 from the ATM. Your bank account knows that you have that $100. They know who you are. But what you do afterwards with that $100, they have no visibility in, right? You could go all over, you know, you could do whatever you want with it and they would mm-hmm. have no idea. They just know you took out the 100 That's what Whirlpool can offer those people who are coming in from a KYC source. And what business is it of the KYC source? What business is it of your exchange to know where you're spending your money or where you're spending your funds, you know, after you've withdrawn it from their service? It, it, it's none of their business. And then, you know, the other, the other thing I like to explain to people is with a open ledger like Bitcoin, no matter who you're paying, whether it be like you know a small value barista, um, or or high value like you know car dealership or whatever, the, the person that you're paying can look into your financial history, and that's not something that anyone in their right mind would ever accept in you know the quote unquote real world. You know that's absurd. Like if you used your visa to pay for like a coffee at Starbucks, and the barista could see. All of your subscriptions, what you know, your OnlyFans, your like it makes no sense. No one would accept that. So Whirlpool and privacy tech on Bitcoin right now is trying to, because it's not happening on the protocol layer, trying to figure out app level solutions to what we consider, you know, a, a, a privacy problem. Yeah. I mean, I guess another way to look at it though, and the way that I'm sure some in the government would look at it is it's a way to subvert the the effort to, to you know to kill privacy by the government, right? So the government came up with these KYC AML requirements sometime after nine eleven, right? And and the idea was we need to treat everybody like a criminal because there might be some criminals out there, and how else are we going to catch them if we don't look at everybody? And so all of a sudden, all these financial institutions are required to track every dollar that's moving through them and who it belongs to. So the idea here is that, you know, Coinbase or Binance or whoever you're using to buy crypto knows exactly who you are. They know where you live. They know what you look like. Um, Your Bitcoin address is associated with that face, with that address, with that, that name. And when you transfer it out of that exchange, it's still associated with that face, name, and address. And it is, again and again, you know, because they're so sophisticated with analytics now, they know who you are at all times. So Samurai Wallet, uh, sorry, Whirlpool, and and CoinJoin in general, is subverting that work by the government um, to to impact your privacy in that way. So... um, 
Now, the way that the laws are structured, the, the, the onus is on the companies, right? It's on the financial institution. It's not on me or any other user to report to the government, except for taxes, of course, to report to right. them how we're spending money. Um, but do you think that do you share my view, which is that, you know, the, as the future unfolds and as this gets more and more frustrating for the government, um, and as we get closer to things like central bank digital currencies and, and digital dollars and stuff like that, um, do you think the onus is going to switch? Like, do you think that this is going to basically, do you think that this is going to become illegal? Do you think that enhancing privacy on an opt in basis as an end user? ultimately is going to become, you know, either whether it's through regulation or a, a congressional act or whatever it might be, eventually it's going to become illegal to to subvert the will of the government in this way. By the end user, you mean? Yeah, yeah, by the end user. I sure should hope so. You hope so? Yes. What a what a indictment of the success if that's the case. If Whirlpool and CoinJoin and and all of these privacy tools are such a are, are so big of a threat to the you know to the the broad market that that you have to ban them outright because if you ban them outright you know what happens huge surge in use black markets and gray markets now are aware of this thing that they can use and they will dominate it uh, it's what well, you know what happened when they they banned alcohol prohibition right they've created the um, uh, they created the mafia um, control of the and distribution of, of liquor, right? Um, cartels, etc. So and, and liquor was rampant. You can get it. So that's the same thing. Yeah, uh, that would be that would be a stunning thing. I, I, I can't see it happening. No, um, I can't see how they could get away with that constitutionally. I, it would be challenged uh, immediately. Uh, that's. I, I don't think they'll be as overt as that. I think what will happen, because you're right, that that's the goal. Um, the goal is for the, um, you know, the reporting uh, in real time on a transaction by transaction basis. It's something that they, the, the state has never had access to, um, and they want it very clear and i you know i think we we are in agreement that the vehicle for that is uh the cbdc uh it's the the, the best vehicle they have for it uh, but if that doesn't work out you could do a pretty good job by co-opting bitcoin um and, and and having a pretty good idea uh you know of the transaction graph if if the majority of the utxos are kyc'd mm-hmm. right so, you know, I, I think that's the goal. Absolutely right. I don't think they're going to just ban it outright like that. I think that would that would not be in their best interest if, if, in what they're doing, uh, trying to achieve. Yeah, we're, we're seeing we've been seeing the government get more and more creative, I would say, over the past three, four years, as far as how to achieve these things that yes. they know are unconstitutional and that they know are illegal. You know, we saw a lot of it during the COVID stuff, right? Where, for instance, I'll give you an example. The government, um, the government didn't want you to fly without a mask, right? So this was a decision by the government. They didn't want you to be allowed to get on an airplane without a mask, but they knew that they couldn't legally tell you that they couldn't have police officers at the gates 
kicking people off planes with that didn't have masks because it's not in their purview. They don't have the authority to do it. They don't have the constitutional authority to do it. And it would have been challenged. So what they did was they went to the airlines and they had the airlines do their work, right? So they can they can get on a conference call with the airlines just like they did with social media, with Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Yeah. They conference calls with the airlines and said, look, this is what we're doing. Uh, you're not going to let anybody on your plane without a mask. And the airlines say, right. okay. And then the airlines enforce it, right? So it's it's... That's same my point. Th- you don't need the the hard approach. You have the the yeah the the same thing with the um, vaccine mandates. Like with the vaccine man- like so nobody from another country could enter the United States on a plane without having a vaccine uh, up to date vaccine. The government can't do that. The government can't um, do that. But what they did was they had the airlines checking before people get on the plane. Right. So it's like, so now bring this over to to money and you start to realize it's not even going to be about the government, you know, banning this or that. It's going to be how can they co-opt financial institutions? How can they co-opt different, you know, wallet makers and stuff like that, which is it's not going to be that hard and already doing it with exchanges, especially in the EU. Right. Um, Right. So that's how it's going to go. You know, I mean, and, and what do you yeah. think about like all the efforts to, to, I mean, it seems like there's, especially in Europe right now, efforts to make self-custody basically illegal unless yeah. it's connected to KYC, right? So how's right. that all going to impact? This is how we first connected, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was around the um, the AOPP right. uh, proposal uh, in the EU. Uh, for your listeners, that was a protocol that would um, ease the the KYC burden uh, make it easier for the end user to to fund their uh, cold storage from a KYC provider in, in the EU. And we argued against this because it was uh, essentially a seeding of territory by these non-custodial wallet developers implementing KYC requirement into something that has never had any business having KYC, which is self-custody, um, uh, total self-custody, meaning you own the private keys. Uh, and many wallets and services signed up for this. Most of them not, they weren't thinking about the implications. You know, they didn't, they didn't do it maliciously. They just thought, oh yeah, this will be, make it easier for my users, which right. it would have. Easier to comply. Uh, Right, but, but right by but by making it quite quote unquote easier for your users, you're normalizing the fact that you're sending KYC information right. every time you you self custody. And we're talking about Trezor. We're talking about um, yeah. um, what other big wallets were there? I remember there was a bunch that there were signed were, on. I think like you know a couple of the hardware wallets, um, yeah. Trezor, Bitbox, I believe. Um, um, yeah, a bunch of a uh, relay sign. Like you know, there was a bunch of services, mostly EU based, but some some uh, I think Blue Wallet as well. So you know, there right again, it wasn't malicious. They just didn't think about it. They well, it was adversarially about it. Their argument was, you know, from their point of view, 
Um, cause they would have implemented this into their device or their wallet and it would have given like their user then could basically connect directly to their exchange in a way right. through, through signing messages. And then their exchange, you know, which already knows their name, their face, their address, et cetera, through KYC, their exchange would then be able to assign that name address, et cetera, to this self-custodial Bitcoin wallet on your Trezor or on, in your digital wallet, whatever it might be. So from the point of view of the wallet makers, the wallet devs, they're thinking, um, well, you know, they're going to need this because this is becoming the law. So I want to make their lives easier because if I don't, then they're going to have a harder time complying with the yep. law. But the fact of the matter is that the law didn't even exist yet, as far as I know. Like the law was the almost law didn't exist. The law was almost like predicated on this happening, right? Yep. So it's like this big there's, circle jerk. There's two. There's two things I want to bring up. One, the law didn't exist. You're right, because each each member state of the EU has to implement the law in their own parliaments. So. The law did get passed in uh, the Dutch uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, and luckily, there are still some people left in, in Europe who have a backbone. And one of the oldest exchanges in Europe and, and definitely the oldest, I believe, in the Netherlands, uh, Bitonic, actually fought this and took it to court and got a ruling that this was uh, against the uh, Dutch constitution uh, and got thrown out immediately you know so that's still worth fighting these things not just bending backwards and complying especially when there is no law um but also as a independent wallet developer as someone who publishes open source code if if your stuff is open source i'm assuming it is uh you know you have no obligation to enforce the law of the state you're not an enforcer Right. You know, so, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I can't imagine why one would go, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Other than they're not thinking about it and saying, oh, that will make the experience nicer for my user. I get it. Okay, fine. But, you know, we're in an adversarial environment and you need to think about these things adversarially. And what, the, you know, what do the, the seeding of territory, the seeding of ground, what it means? Because you brought it up earlier, Chris about the uh, money transmitters and and um, KYC and how it came about after 9-11. Um, it actually came about in 1970 with the introduction of the word money laundering, which was a new word. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean anything other than now here's a creation and this is what it means. And banks and hedge funds and all that sort of stuff actually started having to do basic you know, they, ha- they started having to try to prevent money, this new money laundering crime. Then by 1999, we have now what are called money service businesses. By 2011, you have now money transmitters and what that means. And then by 2019, you now have, you know, what are, how this pertains to crypto and stuff. So this is slippery slope. This is exactly what it means. The minute you see territory, the minute Congress passed the BSA in 1970, the slippery slope started. And now where we're at, we're talking about CBDCs that can track every payment that you're making on demand. It all to stop a crime that was invented in 1970. It's absurd. It's madness. Yeah. And by, by you know, accepting that 
framing, you're accepting your enemy's frame of mind and, and, and they're setting the terms of your engagement. You know, it just makes no sense. Well, it makes sense from the point of view of a company that wants to maximize profit, right? And wants to maximize revenue and wants to, um, and wants to give its uh, its investors their return that they expect, you know, their VCs and whatnot. But, you know, it doesn't make sense from the point of view of a principal developer who's willing to put principal over profit, um, who's willing well, to... short-term profit, though. Uh, you know, that makes it true short-term. Yeah, I think so, because the value proposition, as far as I'm concerned in Bitcoin, isn't a a corporate captured KYC network. Uh, that's not where the value proposition, we can do that already without a blockchain. Um, and it can be way better. Uh, that's not where the value proposition lies. So I think that by by pursuing that and saying, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna do whatever it takes. And, and this is, I mean, it's a common mindset in the space that a, that a, you know, KYC, uh, no privacy, type of network is more valuable uh digital gold network or whatever is more valuable um i disagree and i think that that will play out the thing is it's 2023 and i don't know that most bitcoin most bitcoin holders and users agree anymore you know i think, oh, I don't I th- think they have to it doesn't matter the largest economy in the world is the black market and Bitcoin maybe has an end gray market for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bitcoin maybe has a fraction of a percentage of that market, that usage, you know, and if things are, you know, as bad as, as you and I, I guess, think they are in terms of human freedom and privacy, that market's only going to grow because human beings demand basic freedoms and privacy. They just, it's just a human thing. And you may not think you need it, this and that, until you really suddenly realize, oh, shit, I do need that. And as yeah. more and more people realize that, and COVID woke up a lot of people, um, the masks, uh, you know, the mandates, that woke up a lot of people. That's the, 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 um, the truckers in Canada, that woke up a hell of a lot of people. You know, these events keep happening. So these people are going to be woken up and they're going to go, oh, I actually, I do need privacy because it's not actually about, you know, stopping North Koreans, this and that. It's about stopping me from expressing my political opinions. It's about me stopping me from saying that I think, you know, the election was a sham. It's shit like that, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I see the value in censorship resistant digital cash. That's what I came into Bitcoin for. And uh, you can't have censorship resistant anything without privacy. It's impossible. Yeah. My, my concern is that the people you're talking about, they'll wake up when it's too late, you know, and by then all of these other companies, all of these, you know, the, the treasures and wasabis of the world will have kowtowed to government, will have um, become the sort of um, endorsed, adopted um, protocols for how to use crypto um tech like yours will become if not illegal then right it'll become pirate ship you know pirate bay like of uh crypto right pirate bay is still online it's still online but it's yeah i mean it's uh you know the who knows what the domain is today versus tomorrow and uh you know trying 
it's that's resilience. See, it, you know, uh, let me ask you something. Okay. Do you think? Because I get this a lot. I, I think that there's a lot of people in this space who think, what are you worried about? We're always going to be able to access this tech. We're always going to be able to use this tech. If we have to, we'll all move to some you know island somewhere together and, and start a new country. And you know, it's like, what you know, go to the Citadel and whatever. You know, it's like, okay, I understand that point of view. And yeah, I think I'll always be smart enough to be able to look out for myself to a certain extent. But if, if COVID taught me one thing, it's that the tyranny of the majority is going to affect us no matter how much non-KYC Bitcoin we have, right? Because the tyranny of the majority can lock you out of a grocery store and you can't buy food for your kids. And the tyranny of the majority can keep you from entering a hospital when you're in the middle of a heart attack, you know, and leave you to die on the sidewalk if you don't comply with, you know, certain orders. So it's like, Things like that, I think that people get a little bit naive when they say, oh, well, if if our privacy tools become niche and pirate and this and that, then we'll still be able to survive versus this should be the norm, right? This should be normalized and this should be, and I think that's what we're getting to before, like why we're pushing back on AOPP with, you know, when it's being adopted by huge players in the space like Trezor, you know, and they don't understand like why we're pushing back and they call us an annoying minority, you know, a vocal minority. But in reality, it's about like what you said before. It's about, it wasn't even a law yet in 99% of the world. Like a couple countries are trying to do it, but then Trezor wants to normalize it for all the countries, right? And all of a sudden, all the countries have access to this nice handy dandy tool that Trezor or whoever developed, you know, or the AOPP, you know, group or whatever they were called, developed. Um, So it's, it's, to me, it's like fighting to just have that pirate ship at the end of it all is, is self-defeating versus trying to constantly just remind people, and it's a losing battle, I admit it, it's fully it's losing battle. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, the only thing you can do, uh, well, that we can do is build software, okay? And if people use it, people use it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what the broader land, we know where the trend is going. I think you and I agree on that. And there's no, there's not going to be a, you know, a hero that stops the, the, the pendulum from swinging that way. It's going that way. Uh, so whatever Trezor is going to do, Trezor is going to do. Whatever Wasabi is going to do, Wasabi is going to do. The 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 broader landscape is going to be more captured, more controlled. Um, we've been warning about this, you know, for years since like 2016. You know, so it's not a surprise to us. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's been listening to us because we've been saying, "Look, this is happening. This is happening." You know, and finally we're here. Um, but it doesn't matter because if as long as the tech does exist, those who are aware and need it will have access to it and will be able to use it. And I'm not I don't care about the mass audience. I don't care about, you know, mass adoption. I'm not there to to cater to that. I don't I don't ask for it. I think it, 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 it brings more problems than good right now. Um, all I'm doing is building software that I know works because I need to use it myself and other people are using it and and that number grows day by day so you know it's hard for me to be bearish about things uh when i see the numbers when i see people using whirlpool when i see it all um 
if things the, the worse things get for you know people <laughs> the better things get for the samurai tech because more people need it right what do you think and about that like, goes that plays into why why i don't stop like if i if yeah. we stop this who's working on this shit right well that's that's noble man i mean it's uh I know. You well, it's also selfish because I want to use this. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I build the tools that I want to use. No, I mean you're a humble dude when it comes to this. Like it's 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 brave, it's noble, and it's principled. And it's like it's so rare in the space these days. You know this this whole the, the whole cypherpunk idea is just you know fading quickly I, I think you know as far as like as a percentage of, of who's in the space and, and the way that they think and even with this current drive chain debate and all this stuff going on with Bitcoin um, it's like I, I frankly I'm surprised it's as far along as it is I kind of stopped paying attention for a minute next thing you know it's like this heated debate with should Bitcoin it seems be really contrived I mean I don't I haven't followed along at all I'm not mm-hmm. interested mm-hmm. Um, it seems incredibly contrived to me uh paul's been talking about drive chains for years and years and years um many years i don't see what the big deal is now um you know well the big deal is is vcs want it right it's like yeah (laughs) you know and uh there's money you know like luke is getting paid to to develop this stuff even if yeah well that was funny i saw i saw that and it just goes (laughs) i mean i've been calling i've been warning about luke for years as well this is not the first and like people talk about all the crazy shit luke goes on about and i'm not even going to get into that because i don't think i make you know i don't care about what he believes religion and stuff like that but he has proposed some monstrously bad ideas uh including a you know a dev tax on all bitcoin transactions um you know, seriously propose that mm-hmm. at a time like where he was having money troubles, like shamelessly talked about his money troubles and then proposed this idea. Outrageous. Right. Uh, and, and then then now the the admission that he, you know, is willing to take money for bad ideas and, and he will champion bad ideas for money. Uh, shocking. <laughs> but not it, really. It, who, who was yeah. behind those ideas? This same is, thing with Peter Todd. He had the same re- revelation. These people are, you know, you can buy them off. These is uh, with, you know, with friends like these who needs enemies. Well, it's to be fully expected, though. By the way, we're talking about Luke Dash Jr. In case anybody's yes. wondering, um, <laughs> it, this stuff. I've been talking about this for a while too. Is, is the incentives um, that are being offered to developers? Like every or most core developers are getting paid by somebody. You know, and um, there's a variety of sources of funds, um, but there's nothing stopping a major company, uh, a big exchange like Coinbase, or even a government from incentivizing core developers to, or even new developers to come in and start to um, to bring sway, and not just to to develop, but to sway opinions, right, and to put together campaigns. I mean, this is the problem. That Bitcoin has. The problem is when the government wants to 
accomplish something, they're not going to just stop at developing some code and hoping you adopt it. They're going to try to brainwash you. They're going to use the power of the media to to turn the country against you. <laughs> and then they're going to, you know, I mean, we haven't even seen these yeah. anything like this in crypto yet, but we did see Absolutely. it with, with healthcare and with the pharma. And, and we, we got to experience what I think we're going to see in our lifetime with, with crypto. I don't see any reason. Agreed. If Bitcoin does continue to achieve goals and success and adoption, I don't see any reason that the government wouldn't try to co-opt it, try to fork it, try to um, bring its own, you know, devs into it somehow, um, and then potentially. Yeah, I mean, you know, some would say that there are already kind of spook devs, right, that are in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it like that. I, I, I've been called a spook so many times. You know, it's so old. I, I don't really call people that. Um, but, but it's less about spook devs and, and and just more about. Well, we know from the Snowden leaks, that's what they do. They embed, they embedded people in AT and T, for example. They embedded all these tech companies. Uh, it would, you know, why wouldn't they have a core developer there? Why wouldn't they have, you know, a, a CTO at a, you know, a prominent software company? Like, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that then you take it to the next level when it becomes a national story, which it will. Like, and this just again to loop it back. This is where I get nervous. I get nervous because, you know, this privacy software we're talking about including Wasabi, by the way, even with their block list or whatnot, it's the same stories with Tornado, right? Like they're doing kind of the same thing, aren't they? Where they're just blocking sanctioned addresses, but like you go a couple hops away and they don't know. Like, so it's the same thing. So it's almost like this whole Tornado thing should prove to them that they're wasting their time with that nonsense. It's theater. theater. Right. Which the government now sees through. And it's not going to protect you. (laughs) Exactly. It's like either go all the way and just go full on KYC and become an exchange in a way, or just, or just, God damn it, just fucking Argue it. fight along with the rest of us here. <laughs> like it's well, like again, well, in Wasabi's case, again, no law that required them to do it. Nothing. They and this is their own admission. It's not me saying this. This was their CTO explaining that it was a, you know, a um, a compliance step that they were taking. Um, without there being, you know, there's no law in place to say they have to do it, but they want to do it because they believe in compliant coin join or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever bullshit. But but okay, fine. That's the business decision they made. But there was no law. <laughs> Let's just be very clear about that cuz uh, people get that confused. Right. And as far as we're concerned, as long as there's no law and as long as you have, you know, you've done the research, you have lawyers and of course they do and you say, "Are we breaking any laws?" and they go, "No." You go, okay, then we're not going to do this. What Mm -hmm. happened to people saying no to the government? You're allowed to say no to the government. You know? Yeah. The government can request anything. It's up to you to say, (laughs) yes, I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do this. Or you can say, you're going to need a court order for that. You make it sound so easy. Well, no, but it's, it's not... That it's hard. It's it was the de facto thing to do for so long. Well, you need a fucking spine like, to do this. You need a spine. You need to, you need to be willing to put principle ahead of profit. That's for sure. And they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to to risk their 
their livelihood, their family, their, you know, they're not, they're not willing to put things on the line like you but are. And saying no to the government isn't risking your life. It's not like you're going to go to jail. It says get a court order and they have to come back with a court order. That you, then you have to comply. Then you, you've done everything you can. Again, there, there's been like, I don't know what it is in the last 15 years, 20 years, this this kind of perception change in the relationship between the individual and the state and between the core, well, definitely between the, the, the corporations and the state. That's clear. Um, yeah. Cooperation is, is very clear, but you know, like that shift is not how it's always been. And I find, you know, I, I guess it's, it's old man shit, but you know, you look around and you go, I wish these people realized that this is not like just, just 10 years ago. It wasn't like this. Right. You know, because you're it's principled, fun. like you're so principled, you, you're blind to this, I think. Like it's like yeah. everybody around you is willing to comply and they're willing to comply for self-preservation purposes because they're scared of what will happen if they don't. And also, by the way, they've got investors, they've got VCs, they've got all these advisors telling them what they need to do to maximize profit. And crypto has eyeballs on it like no other industry, right? So it's like, you know, we're under the gun. Uh, laws are coming. We know that eventually. And they're trying to get ahead of it. They're thinking like, well, maybe if we just do this, this will become the law. This will become good. And they're yeah. trying to write the laws ahead of time, right? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with seeking profit. There's nothing wrong with investing and in anything like that. That's all good uh-huh. stuff. And in fact, it's very hard to build a good product without there being a profit incentive because profit's one of the best ways for you to gauge whether your customers are appreciating or not what you're what you're providing. Right. So and profit the, is not an issue. No, but the it's huge just, I guess we differ on on what the value no, proposition. No. Here's where you differ. You differ in that you are not willing to use your users rights as a bargaining chip. You are not willing yeah. to trade away the rights of your users in exchange for the preservation of your project or your business or whatever it might be. But others are. Others are willing to use my privacy and my rights as a bargaining chip, and they're willing to negotiate with them. And that's that doesn't it doesn't just go for wallets and stuff like that. It's also exchanges. It's anybody who's engaged in this space. It's the DeFi apps. It's it's the VCs. You know, it's everybody who engages in this space. They are using our rights as bargaining chips. So they're saying, you know, like Coinbase or whoever, they're saying, okay, you can have some more user data and in exchange, you're going to let us do, you know, run this layer two or whatever it might, you know, and it's just this constant negotiation and we're the fucking pawns, right? So that's the difference. You're not willing to do that. You're not willing to play that game, or at least you haven't thus far, you know, and they are, and they are seen as better in business because that's what business is today. Business is about how far will we let the government go uh, while still maintaining our our profit margins, you know. And, and that's that's what it boils down to. And you are the minority. You do understand that, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Uh, well. So- I think we may be the minority in terms of the type of project that we're building. And yeah, you know, we certainly prioritize principle over profit every single time. And, you know, uh, going back, 
I, to what you asked me before, am I worried about, um, you know, getting the, uh, you know, the tornado cash treatment? Um, I think it would be, if it did, God forbid happen. I think it would be funny because you know how they always show how much, how you've been enriched by this operation and you have this amount of Bitcoin. They could see the amount of money I have lost in this pursuit, uh, being a self-funded thing. Uh, so that would be, that'd be nice to have a, uh, an accurate accounting of, um, yeah, no, it's, it's so we're certainly not prioritizing profit or anything over principle. And yes, I understand that that's a minority thing, but, um, you know, all I, all I, this is all I want to do, you know, and if we can do it and not rely on, you know, outside forces telling us how we have to do it, we'll do it for as long as we can and we can, we can keep doing it for now. So we will. Amen to that, man. I think, you know, it's it's just so rare in the space to have that kind of attitude and actually act upon it, you know, and you got all these other projects and the VCs like A16Z out there, you know, where Mark Andreessen is Mr. Libertarian when he's talking on Twitter, but then you, you see all this stuff that they're doing, the way they're lobbying, the way they're they're seeking regulate seeking regulation they're actually proactively trying to work with regulators to create regulation because it's smart for business you know and they're not fighting they're not pushing back they're not trying to preserve our rights they're trying to preserve their business you know so he's out there mr loudmouth libertarian on on you know when he's doing interviews but the way the company acts is completely different he doesn't walk the walk you know and um you're a rarity in the space and i wish there was there was more like you, man. I mean, it's uh, it's it's uh, the future would be a lot brighter, if, I think, if we had more principled actors in the space. And not to say there aren't many. There's still plenty, especially on the development side um, with Bitcoin. There's still plenty of people out there who who get it. Um, but I, I just uh, money talks, man. It's money talks for users. Uh, for devs and for the lawmakers and for the regulators and for the yep. courts, unfortunately. So that's the kind of stuff that I think we have to watch out for. But um, anyway, I've kept you over time. And uh, I think this has been a good chat. You know, before we go, one last question. Um, sure. What do you think the future looks like for Bitcoin as far as as far as far mining goes? I don't know how much you follow that space but as far as you know my uh, big concern right now is um that two pools foundry and um amp pool control 50 percent of the hash rate right now um both require kyc uh in order for people to get paid you know and in my opinion that means that they're basically government controlled whenever the government wants to control them yeah um what do you think about that could that have an impact on what you're doing down the road uh, it could have an impact certainly on uh, on everyone down the road. Uh, we've seen periods like this before, certainly not with a you know like a KYC because it wasn't just it, we didn't, didn't think about it back then. But where a couple companies have had the majority of the hash rate, uh, it tends to even itself out over time. Um, as long as it's possible for other entrants to enter the space. You know that's that's the best that that's the best defense that we we can we can come up with because you know what can you do you can't stop someone coming in and running a compliant miner um, and you know just pumping money into it and I mean I, I even think Satoshi talked about this on some of the early um, 
uh, Bitcoin talk message message mm-hmm. board posts about this type of attack. And yeah, it's, it's certainly feasible. It's a type of, but but what you have to hope is that um, the ability to join a pool, for example, uh, and and move away hash rate from uh, a miner who's not who's not including transactions that you want or you think should be included to someone to a different miner is important. Um, when we, I think with Marathon, was it Marathon uh, who planned to censor non-compliant transactions had to like very quickly within a day, you know, turn around on that decision after huge backlash from pretty much unanimously as like, you're trying to break Bitcoin. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't get involved in the mining side of things too much. Um, you know, the privacy side of things is so complex a topic already. Mm-hmm. That you know, I think the mining side is you have to be equally as you know experienced and knowledgeable, and I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, I, I just bring it up because I think it's becoming intertwined. You know, I think that. Um, oh yeah, any we're talk- you know any area they can attack, they're going to attack. Yeah, and we're talking about censorship of transactions. We're talking about, you know, um, now, of course, it's a permissionless network and anybody can mine. um, So it's highly unlikely anybody can be completely banned, you know, from Bitcoin uh, through this method. But it can it can impact, you know, processing confirmation times. Um, There's a lot of different things that, that can happen. Um, what, what, what would happen there is so like let's say they wanted to ban whirlpool transactions this mm-hmm. these compliant miners or whatever it would just mean that we now have to have an off-band kind of relationship with the third biggest pool or the fourth biggest pool or a combination and agree and make a payment to them all out of you know out of band to include these transactions in um and yeah it will it will um impact confirmation times and usability and experience it can make it annoying bad but you know if a, if it's a valid transaction it's a valid transaction and if if a miner isn't going to include a valid transaction in the block because it's against their rules or whatever then there will be another miner who will uh just may maybe a little inconvenient right something to watch all right man well hey i yeah. appreciate all your time and all your work and all your principled effort so thank you so much and uh we'll Always do it again sometime Chris. Take care. I hope I hope your your viewers weren't expecting like a big showdown or clash. I didn't realize we had a debate. I was just <laughs> disagreeing. <in that. laughs> no, no. You know what? This. Uh, I mean, we don't line up on every issue. I don't think, and and I don't think we did here. You know, I think it's. Um, but the important thing is that we're able to have the conversations. And that there's a there's a higher overarching idea here that we definitely do agree on, which is that privacy is dignity and we all deserve it, you know. And um, I think that uh, that's the most important part that I, I wish everybody in the space could line up on because they definitely don't. <laughs> yeah. well, we might deserve it, but you certainly have to fight for it. Yeah. You, know, you don't just get things because you deserve them. You have to take them. And privacy, like any other right, has to be taken That's right. Well, thanks again. My pleasure, Chris.